0: I think that's what I'm learning is that a lot of people would have just walked away and said, I can't prove it. This is none of my business. I don't want to get involved. I don't understand that. I really just don't get it. I do agree that a lot of people probably would have just walked away from it and and not wanted to do the research and dig deep enough to see if they could save this baby.
1: Hi, this is Lady C. Welcome to another episode of the critical thought the voice that you just heard is our upcoming guest and she's going to talk about her experience with child sex abuse in the Jehovah's Witness religion and how she actively got involved.
0: You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses.
1: All right, I want to welcome my upcoming guest. Her name is Lucille. She was raised in the Jehovah's Witness religion since the time that she was an infant. Her parents gave up their musical careers. They were both attending Juilliard School of Arts in New York. And they somehow stumbled on this religion and got trapped for many years in this faith. So, Lucille, welcome to The Critical Thought.
0: Thank you so much, Lady C, for having me here. I am uh, very honored to meet you, and I'm glad to be able to contribute to the stories about Coming out of Jeho- the, the Jehovah's Witness faith, as well as the story about what I know regarding CSA in the congregations.
1: Yeah, and you know when we spoke earlier, you talked about how the irony of learning about these different cases dealing with CSA in these were stories that were related to you by a relative of your ex-husband. So I'm excited to have you share your experience?
0: Because I thought it was very interesting. I happened to meet in a social media group, a relative of my ex-husband. Now, mind you, this is in 2021. Um, And my ex-husband has an uncommon name. And so when I saw that person's last name, I said, we've got to be, we must be related. And then I reached out to Um, that individual and found out we were and we, you know, would do lunch occasionally or whatever. And she was still a witness that was starting to wake up to the fact that there were problems in the organization and theology issues and, and just waking up to this is probably not a fit for me after having been there for decades and brought in as a young child also. And one day we were talking on the phone. This was in late April of 2021. And um, we were talking on the phone. She said, there's something I have to tell you. She said, my best friend basically revealed to me that a sister walked up to her in the sister congregation to the one that my um, relative goes to. Um, This woman, older woman walked up to her best friend. They had been friends for 40 years and told the friend that her husband was abusing their granddaughter she walked in on him doing that and that it had not it was not the first time that that had happened and so of course I'm shocked that grandmother was not mentally and emotionally in a position evidently to do to, to do to do the right thing. I don't know what her story of trauma is. I don't know. Um, what her relationship with her husband was. I don't know if there was abuse there between she and her husband, but for whatever reason, the grandmother did not report, but she told another sister in a congregation, which to me implies that she wanted some direction. She needed someone to stand up and say, look, we need to report this to the police, Um or how can I help you? But it needed to be reported to the police. So I told her, you need to call your friend back. We've got to get the name of that family so that we can report this. And she seemed hesitant. I still now don't understand the lack of urgency. But what I ended up doing was I I said, if you don't report this, I'm going to report it.
1: Oh, wow. That is so crazy. I am so glad that you got involved in the process. So do you want to tell our listening audience what steps you took to report this case?
0: And I did. I called CPS the first time. I ended up calling them twice, but I called them the first time. I had the name of the congregation, the age of the child, but I did not have the family name. And when I called CPS, I was advised, this is not enough information for us to go on. So after that happened, I called the elders. I called that congregation and I left a voicemail and I told them that I was aware of a possible abuse situation in their congregation and I needed them to call me back. And when I did not hear from the elders immediately, because at this point I'm frantic, this is a young, young child. This is not a child that has access to go to school to tell a teacher. This is a baby. So what I did was I called the society. I called the headquarters, and it's funny when you call the headquarters, they talk to you like you have entered a resort, and they are the host in this very sing-songy welcoming voice, and the voice never changes, you know. And I'm reporting a, a potential abu- an alleged abuse situation in the congregation. So when I get connected to someone, the gentleman tells me. Well, the grandmother can is more she can report this, you know, to the authorities. We're not going to stop her from reporting. But like I explained to him, the grandmother evidently is not competent to do this at this point. She evidently is emotionally and mentally compromised to the point where she does not even know to make the correct choice. And I said, I'm telling you, I need you to get involved. I told him, I said, I'm a mother and I'm a grandmother. And I said, I'm asking you to please reach out to the elders. Please find out who this baby is, who this family is, who this baby is, so that this can be reported and this child can get some help. But I just got the constant deflection that. The grandmother can call, you know, the police. She can definitely call authorities. We, you know, we report where it's mandated to report. There was no urgency. The entire time I talked to this gentleman, he talked to me, like I said, as if I were on a resort or on a cruise ship and he was the activities director. That, you know, welcome aboard and and have a great time and we're excited. I mean, this, this is the tone of his voice. So I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere um, with that. and, And I just hung up the phone, but it really bothered me. I mean, this situation really, really bothered me. So I ended up calling CPS again. And the person that I spoke to, when she listened to my story and my justification for why I believed that this was a credible story and a credible threat, She was able to connect me to a woman who, uh, an intake person who actually took my information down, took down the name of the congregation, and she established a case number on this.
1: Oh, that is excellent, Lucille. Good detective work. So what did you do after you got the
0: case number established through Child Protective Services? I called the society back again. And it was funny. I had a woman who answered the phone and she I said, I need to talk to someone. And she said, may I ask what you need to discuss? And I said, I need to report a possible CSA in the congregation. And she said she was the only person that I talked to at the society who actually had a normal reaction that one would have when someone is calling about that. And the individual that I got that she connected me to, again, another man, he still had that same welcome, you know, to Fantasy Island voice. You know, he still was just very sing-songy and very positive, you know. And I'm calling about a a really significant, you know, a problem. Um, And so he's, again, singing the same refrain she's more than welcome to report. We report where it's mandated. She can contact her local authorities. We're not going to stop her from doing that. And I said the same thing. I said, she evidently is mentally and emotionally not fit to be able to do the right thing because if she were, she would have already done it, but she needs help because of course she's, She's a let another sister in the congregation know what's going on. And this man and I went back and forth. I said, and I am begging you, please, to find this child. I said, your congregations are not that big. I said, you have about 125, 150 members in each congregation. You should be from that able to narrow down two people who bring a one-year-old there, you know, that are old enough to be grandparents. And and I even told him, I said, I know that you get crank calls all the time because I mean we've seen on some, you know, channels where people will call the, the, the society and they they will engage them in spiritual debate. So I can understand the skepticism. And I explained that to him. I understand that you get calls that, you know, are weird or appear to be crank calls. I said, but I'm telling you, I said, I'm a mother and a grandmother and I'm, this is a credible threat. But what was really odd was when I tried to tell him what the grandfather said that made me know that this was, um, you know, a credible case, he shut me down immediately. He didn't even want to hear what the statement was. He didn't want to hear what the man said. He just shut it down. And then at one point, uh, the gentleman at the society got irritated with me. Up till then, he had that smooth, just, you know, welcome to the Caribbean, fantasy island voice. And then he all of a sudden just snapped. And he said, look, he said, honestly, I don't know who you are. He said, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're credible. I don't know anything about you. And this was the response that I gave him. I said, if I were to call in a bomb threat to a local school, the school would not stop to ask whether or not the caller is credible. The school would call the police and have the police come in and investigate whether or not the bomb threat call was credible. They would not sit there and ask this question. And, for, and, and a light bulb went off on him in, in his brain at that point. And at that point, he said, what is your name and what is your phone number? And he, ha- he must have passed that on to the local elders because they finally called me. And um, now, mind you, none of these people know my background. I never told them that I had been a Jehovah's Witness for 16 years. I did not use my married name. I used my maiden name. And the elders called me back either later that evening or the next day. And there were two elders on the phone. And I told them the story again. And then I explained to them, you know, I know that your, your, um, Your um, congregations, again, are small. You should be able to narrow this down to a handful of families to find this child. Because like I told the gentleman at the society, I said, what you have to understand is this is not a child who is of age to go to school to report or for a teacher to notice that there's something um, odd about their behavior or that they can talk to a counselor. This is not a school-aged child who has access to people. This is a toddler. This is an infant, a young young person who has no voice, um, and so that's why it's imperative in this situation that somebody try to find this baby. This was real time. This wasn't. This wasn't something from twenty years ago. I'm calling them, telling them about an active case. You know, that's a lot of work that you put
1: into this case, and I'm very impressed that you would take that type of effort to report this. Because it is true that people will talk about these cases, but then they won't take any action. So I think that it's good for our listening audience to hear your story and how you went about trying to locate this family because maybe people just don't even know how to start the process. So did you ever hear anything back from Child Protective Services dealing with this case? You wanna go ahead and finish telling us a little bit more about how this case progressed?
0: CPS never called me back. I did have the case number. They said, if you get any additional information, contact us. Um, when I did speak to the elders um, and you know try to impress upon them the necessity, the importance to basically try to find this family. Their response to me was, well, that's really hard for us to do because even if we narrow it down, we don't want to accuse an innocent person. That's what their response was. And, you know, I understood that. So I said, you know, but I, I mean, I I did and I didn't, all I'm thinking is there's this baby who this is happening to. And so I said, okay. I mean, their response was similar to to what happened when I called the society about it. It's just like basically there's nothing we can do. And so I said, you know, okay. And I went to hang up the phone. And this is what the gentleman said. He said, well, his voice changed. And he said, well, when you, you know, if you happen to end up finding out who this is, will you call us back? And I said, no, I'm not going to call you back. And he said, wouldn't you want to call us back and tell us who this is so that we can protect the children in our congregation? And my response to him is, no, if I find out the name of who this is, I'm going to contact the police and then the police can investigate it. And if they find that this is a valid you know, complaint and this is actual, this is factual and they arrest him, I said, then that protects your children and my grandchildren so i don't have to call you back and then i also told him too i said because like you said i said we don't want to accuse an innocent person so if i call you back with a name that's accusing a person that i don't know it hasn't been investigated if my cousin were to tell me who the name was and i were to give it to this man if he hasn't been investigated by the police, that's like I told him, we don't want to accuse an innocent person, do we? And he didn't like that response. And I and I knew what that was about. They were focused on the judicial hearing. They didn't really care about the the you know the reporting to the police. But like I told him, no, I'm not gonna call you back. I'm gonna call the police if I find out this man's name. And then when I call the police and it's investigated, if the person's placed in jail, in custody, then that means that your children and my grandchildren are protected. And then I told him, I said, but you know what? I said, I do have the case number here so that if you have any additional information, you can call CBS and and use this case number to report it. But when I said that to him, he scoffed at me. He said, yeah, he scoffed at me. He didn't want it. I literally wanted to stand up with a sign, lady seat in front of the con the kingdom hall and say, there's a possible CSA of a one-year-old in this con- in this kingdom hall. I need you to help me find this child. I mean, that's how, that's how upset I was. And, um, and i and I and then I finally just said, "You know how far you' you've done the best you can, how far can you go if you get out here now you're on the news and you're possibly enduring a legal case, you know being accused of defamation and all this stuff and and but it bothered me for a very long time, and it still bothers me now
1: and I'm gonna tell you what the way I feel about this whole c s a issue in the watchtower is they do not have any any policies on how." The brothers and sisters are supposed to turn these cases in. And we do know why that is, because we know that the whole religion would probably crumble because there would probably be so many cases coming to the forefront that they wouldn't even be able to keep their front doors open. Right. But um, I really applaud you, Lucio, for your efforts, because it really is like a eye opening moment. You know, no one has ever come to me with an issue such as this where I would be having to report something but, you know, I, I don't even know if I would have been able to figure out what to do. I mean, I know I would go to the police, but I wasn't even thinking about child protective services at this point. So, like for the listening audience, maybe other people may have felt the same way. But again, because I have never been in a situation where I had to report something like that. So, when you think about something you've never done before, until you came to me with this case, I hadn't even thought about how to report except for calling the authorities, of course, calling the police. But you want to go ahead and tell us whatever
0: happened to this young baby? Two years later, my cousin still has not asked her friend about the name of the family. So I remember when we first discussed it, I said, you know, I'm like, do you have that name of that family? I'm texting, do you have the name of family? She said, or I, I talk, we talked on the phone and she was like, I got busy. I just didn't understand the apathy. And, and maybe some of that has to do with her trying to come out and, and wondering, would she be outed for that? But I never did understand that, you know, because I know that's my limit. And my mother was a witness And I know that that would have been my mother's limit because ultimately what made my mother come out of that faith was her children. So I didn't understand someone not wanting to get involved um, in that. And I, I was very sad for a very long time. And it still comes back to me wondering if they found out who it is or how far the investigation went. But I do know this. They have the name of that congregation and they have a case number. And so the next time that someone reports and it's associated with that congregation, they only need, you know, they only need a trail. Typically, you know, sometimes you'll hear about legal cases and somebody will report whatever the issue is and it may not go anywhere. But then when subsequent cases come up, they go back to that first one and say, wait a minute, we heard about this in 2021. Maybe this is the same family. Maybe this congregation has an issue and we need to get involved. I mean, that's similar to the case in Pennsylvania. They originally went in, they found nine. And then now after further investigation, they found five more. But I just want to Thank you for listening to my story and of of being aware of this in the congregations and sharing it with others. And I hope it encourages others to, like I said, protect our children.
1: Well, Lucille, I want to thank you so much for reaching out to share that story because this will give other people an opportunity to participate in turning these cases in sooner. I think that because as Jehovah's Witnesses, we were not taught to go through certain channels. Everything was going through the elder body or going up to Bethel. People just were not getting involved and really being able to be there to help someone else. So thank you so much for sharing that information. And I want to thank everyone else for being in the audience. Please leave your comments below to share your experiences, or even talk about the case here. This has been Lady C. Thank you so much for being in our audience. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.